Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On a Friday in February 2007, he was training with Chester. The next day... Age 35, he became a manager. His first job in the dugout was a certified success, where the philosophy he instilled is still the one the club tries to follow today. And there goes the whistle. Swansea City are promoted 24 years after they were last in the second tier of football's pyramid. He is now at the helm of one of the most exciting jobs in world football. Azar is onside here and beyond the keeper the route there was filled with avoiding relegation, succumbing to the drop, taking over a story club. It's a real, real special day coming to Everton Football Club. Steering them well before getting sacked. Roberto Martinez has been sacked by Everton with immediate effect. The Toffees have picked up only four Premier League points since March the 5th. He's a man whose experience in the game is astounding. He has settled in as a foreign player navigating the lower leagues. Oh, wonderful goal! Roberto Martinez! With a tremendous strike, gives Wigan Athletic the lead. While studying physiotherapy and business management, he has left managerial legacies. Maloney takes, and it's in! It's Ben Watson! It's Ben Watson for Wigan Athletic! They've surely won the FA Cup for Dave Whelan, for Roberto Martinez. He's felt alone in the dugout. You lose a game and you're in those three positions uh, in the Premier League and everyone reminds you. He has worked as a TV analyst to get a greater understanding of media criticism. I covered the World Cup 2010 with uh, an American channel because I felt that it was uh, the least uh, intrusive into, into the UK. And then I could learn of what are the pressures and the challenges when you are a journalist and when you're someone covering a game. And now he's in charge of a golden generation. I'm very pleased to welcome Belgium manager Roberto Martinez as my guest on Between the Lines. Roberto, I'm delighted to have you on the show. But before we get stuck into the intricacies of management, I just want to find out on a personal level for you, what has the change in restrictions around COVID over this festive period meant for your family? Because I know obviously it's been such a difficult year, such an unprecedented year, but for a lot of people, this will be the toughest time to get through. So how has it been for you and your family? Yes, Melissa, I think um, uh, we all had to adapt. Uh, normally, we used to just travel and go and see my wife's family in, in Scotland. Then we would take the opportunity to go to Spain. And I think it's, 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 it's one of the beautiful moments of the year that you can probably take the, the kids to understand where we come from. We had a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a lot of fun in our in our family. Uh, I'm Spanish. My wife is Scottish. Our two girls were born in England, so you can imagine we got a lot of fun at home. But at Christmas had to be very different this year, so we haven't been able to travel. So we all uh, we anticipated these um, these restrictions and and the lockdown. So we all got together in one house and we just 
uh, we're looking forward to to stay together in a very very different way, which is just making sure we are with each other and that's it. Um, we don't we don't look to get out of the house and do anything else than that. Yeah, you mentioned there your daughters and has managing children around the pandemic been maybe more difficult than even managing a football club or a country because it's so hard to kind of explain to them why everything is so different. Yes, I, yes, I know. I think there are elements that they've been very enjoyable to be able to spend time with the girls and in a way is uh, there is always we always have something to do uh, there is always uh, a moment that we need to do something different than being with with our family and and now it's been the opposite uh, and that's been the nice part of it that you can prioritize what i must admit is that i never expected homeschooling to be so challenging and so difficult my my daughter the oldest one is seven and I tried to do the first day of homeschooling and I had to pass uh, all the all the responsibilities to my wife very quickly because I couldn't that was uh, that water was too deep for me it was it was enjoyable and, and challenging at the same time but no I think I think we like anything in life you have to you can always look at the the difficult part of any situation or you can just embrace it and and enjoy the good parts of it the life is not perfect and we try to always look at the things that we've been able to do together and we spend more time uh, closer to each other we've been able to organize the day and work and while you're doing homeschooling you can work virtually a lot so that's been that's been an interesting period but for sure i've got such an incredible respect for any teacher in, 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 in the schools of, of my daughter. It's, it's been an eye-opener. So homeschooling is, is more pressurized than trying to get a, a must-win in a football match noted. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Believe me, it's easier, easier to prepare the bronze medal in the World Cup in 2018 than having a full program of homeschooling for my daughter. Believe me, that's, that's totally true. Incredible stuff. I just want to... Um, <laughs> rewind to your playing days because we're talking about schooling and stuff you studied during being a player uh, a physiotherapy degree and then you got your post-grad diploma in business management what was the thinking behind doing that i'm always i think it comes from home uh, my dad always played the game and and he was very clear with his message. Um, he always told me that being a professional footballer or playing or working professionally from the game sometimes is not in your hands. Uh, it's a, a lot of elements that they, uh, you need to be uh, of the, you know, probably the, your, your style as a player needs to fit a specific coach or specific manager. Someone needs to give you an opportunity, needs to be very lucky with the injuries. There are many aspects that working hard and committing yourself is not enough. And that was always uh, the commitment that we had at home. Uh, they said to me when I was a young boy that if I wanted to try to play football, that would be great. And it, it was my passion, but I had to do the uh, the studies and I had to do my degree. And I always did well in studies and, and I carry on working. And I did my degree in physiotherapy because I always felt that it was something that uh, it would help me uh, to know my body, to know how to I, uh, how I can prevent injuries, and that was very enjoyable. And I must admit, I always encourage every young player never to to give up studies just because you want to become a footballer. There are many aspects that you cannot control in that journey of becoming a footballer or, or working in the game. And I think being at the same uh, journey of other young people at your same age, going to university, trying to meet deadlines, trying to uh, finish assignments, uh, that teaches you a very good way of having that discipline that you need if you become a, a professional footballer. And I think that's that's very important. Sometimes the education path and the football path, they go away from each other. And I don't believe on that. I think that you can uh, use both and and uh, in that respect, it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to complement each other. You were saying there that your studies helped you so much as a player in terms of discipline, in terms of understanding your body and stuff better. But has that wide-ranging knowledge of being a player, of the physiotherapy, the business side of things helped you as well as a manager? Because you've got a panorama of everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I always, I always feel that as a, 
you can be a coach, a manager. It happens in sports. It happens in business. If you're a decision maker, the more affinity that you have with the people that you can work, uh, the easier it is to understand people and the easier it is to make a decision. When you walk into your place of work, you almost have to make, you have to open, be open-minded. You have to make 20, 25 decisions. And I think whatever you've done in the past uh, will help you towards that. And helping that decision process is understanding um, the other person. And that's why I felt as a student that really, uh, that really gets you out of your comfort zone. And my advice to any young footballers to try to push themselves and never to go to the easy root of saying, well, I want to be a professional footballer, so why should I study? Why should I meet that deadline? Whatever you're going to do in life, if you push yourself to meet deadlines, to, to have to work, to have to get out of your comfort zone, you will always get the benefits uh, down the line. And when you are playing football as a youngster, when you have a tough period, you can always focus more on the studies. When you've got a little bit of a period of too much work in studies, you can free yourself on the football pitch and enjoy yourself. And I think it's a beautiful balance for any youngster. And I encourage any family to encourage their kids to do that, which in the past hasn't been the case. I've been as a young coach or young manager uh, at Swansea City. I remember that uh, at there were a lot of families that they were not agreeing on on almost pushing their young players to do studies when they wanted to be professional footballers. And I think it's a big, a big mistake. You speak there about, you know, having an affinity to the people you're working with. That's so important. Did your experience as a foreign player give you a greater understanding of adjustment periods for signings under you? And were there any special touches you used to help them settle in better? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, uh, I came to the UK in 95. 1995 means that you didn't have espresso coffee. That's how different the time was then. Uh, there are many, many uh, aspects that they've changed since then and it's a lot easier. And I felt that when I arrived, it was very little moments that um, I was understood. Um, I had to obviously adapt to the new culture and the new way of, of working. But I realized that many coaches missed that trick on trying to uh, get to know the way I was doing things and why that would be something different for me um, from being used to sleep in the afternoons, uh, having a big lunch and then going to sleep for half an hour and then just having the rest of the day. That's something in, in the British game that, that was uh, unheard of. And I always, I always been curious. Uh, as a manager, I always wanted to know what the players expected when they come to the British game. Of course, uh, when you come as a foreign player, you have to adapt to the British game, to the British dressing room, to the club that you're going to represent. But I think as a coach, if you can get a little bit of an insight of what the player sees through their own experiences, their own eyes, it will be a lot easier for them to be part of what you're trying to build. And I think that's essential. There is no right or wrong of how you leave football. But I think when you come as a foreign player, you have to learn the way that that, that the dressing room works. But I think for a coach or a manager, eh, having the information of what these young players experience in their own countries and their own educational period, it gives you a huge advantage to understand the footballer and to understand the human being. If you don't understand the human being that is holding the footballer, you'll never get the best of that footballer. No, definitely 100%. And for you, the switch from actually being a player to becoming a manager came very sharply talk us through that that spell of that change yeah that, that was a very uh, I was very fortunate in that respect looking back now I was playing at Chester uh, enjoying my football just experimenting a lot I was 33 at that time it's almost you realize that that's that's a very end of your of your career so you're almost your treasure every day and that was I will always remember on a Friday we were preparing to go I'm playing the game on Saturday and I got the job of Swansea City and that Friday was my last session with uh, Chester and then I was driving down uh, to South Wales to take over as a manager of Swansea City on, on, on Saturday and, and that was my, my uh, period of, of, of adapting. But obviously I was, I was without knowing it, I was so ready 
to walk into that dressing room because obviously six months previously I was the captain of that group, so I knew where the players uh, would go and, and celebrate after a victory, where they would go and, and, and try to find their own private time. I knew them what they were as human beings. I knew them as what they could uh, do as, as footballers. And since I arrived in 95, that was in 2007, it's almost I had to think about the game more than than I was uh, knowing at that time. Obviously, I was a technical player educated in the Spanish way. It doesn't get any contrasting, any more contrasting than coming to the old uh, third division into the British game. And probably that made me uh, very quickly uh, realize what I what I wanted out of the game. And if I was going to become a coach, I knew exactly uh, what was needed in the British game, but I knew what I wanted out of it. So it was a, a wonderful surprise when I walk into that uh, job, and there is always you know, there's always an adaptation period, not just in football, in any job when you change jobs. And I felt that I was. Um, it felt natural and it felt right, which is a wonderful feeling to have when you walk into a new a new role. On on that Friday, was there any apprehension, any fears, any nerves, or was it more the idea that I know the place, I know the people, I'm confident in this, I am geared for this, this is what I want to do, so I'm just going to back myself? Or was it a mix of the two things? Because it came so quickly. So, like, what were all the emotions bubbling through you? Well, I, I, it's funny you say that. I don't, I'm not an emotional person in that respect. I think I'm quite rational. And as you walk into a, into a manager's shoes, uh, you've got so many things to prepare for tomorrow. But you haven't got time to think about today and how you feel today and, and, and what was the process. And you cannot look back at all. I think club club football's job, and, and that's what I would say now, the difference with international football. International football is a lot more about looking back and about reassessing, about looking at partnerships. Uh, you can be a bit more aware of, of, of assessing how the game went. And then you got a period of probably four weeks to prepare the next camp and everything is about preparation. At club level, is about tomorrow and it's very much taking what you get out of today and the next thing that you need to have in your mind is how you can affect every small detail around the environment that you're in to win the next game and everything is about looking forward. So I'm looking back, I don't think I've got a, a, a vivid memory of my emotions. Uh, I know that it was such a, a wonderful period of going back to see my teammates and then become the coach, which that was probably the hardest aspect, which um, from calling me from my first name, they had to call me a boss. And, and that was very, very difficult. Someone that you called Roberto for so long, for four years, now you need to call him boss. And I think that was quite a tough job for them. And I had to put a fine system every time that someone would call me by my first name, they would they would get fined on the spot, but I think it was a bit of a tongue and cheek to just to be um, setting a very clear line of of, of that the rules change, but um, I didn't change at all. I was there to make them uh, make them make them better and try to help them to achieve a dream together of playing in a certain different way. And it wasn't just that from one day to another I changed towards them. It, I enjoyed that that side. I think it, it teached me a, a lot of things and it helped me a lot in my future jobs that footballers uh, are footballers when they play the games, but between the games that are human beings, that the closer you can get to them, the more information you can get and the more that you can affect them towards performing at their very, very best. You speak about performing at their very best and... At Swansea, your time was very special and the club still try to follow your possession-based template. You gave them an identity. You gave them something that's more than just results. Does that, does that feel better than any win or knowing that you've affected a, a system? Yes, absolutely. I think it's the, the DNA of a football club uh, and that's wonderful. It's, it's almost... A very proud legacy of 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 is it, uh, how that team played and how everyone felt very represented. The fans uh, felt very proud of of the way that the the team played and that created something really really special. And I just feel that the person that needs the admiration on that is the the person that he had the vision 
to be very, very brave and give me a job for the first time. And that was Hugh Jenkins, the president and, and the chairman at, at Swansea City and the board of directors. Uh, that was very, now it looks an easy decision, obviously, because it became a successful story. But at that point, it was a very brave decision. Uh, Swansea City, with a new ground, had real high expectations uh, in Wales, only two professional clubs at that time. And you, it was very little margin of error. And Hugh Jenkins went for a very inexperienced coach at the age of 33. Obviously, I had my time there as a player. So to have that vision of, 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 of being able to give me that responsibility uh, gave me a lot of uh, belief in, in, in that I could really bring drastic changes in the way that we wanted to play. And then looking back, uh, it was such a successful uh, period that to see that the, the following appointments there were managers that they were uh, fitting in in the Swansea DNA and the Swansea way of playing. And that's it's very pleasing in, in a humble manner to look into the, 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 the football that it was played, not just while I was there, it's just in the years after. It was uh, very, uh, very special. It reaffirms something that I always believe when you're a manager in a football club, you have to manage a club for the next uh, 200 years, not just to save your job so you can win the next game. I don't believe in that short-term way of, of, of managing a football team and a football club. And I think that was another uh, proven story that if you do that, uh, the institution uh, gets the benefit. Swansea were beginning to make it all look so easy. Angel Rangel's long ball tempted the old keeper out of his area and his weak clearance fell to Gwilym Bowser. Bowser's developed as a striker this season and many believe he will thrive in the championship next season. A good strike at an empty net for the ex-Espanol player. As you've mentioned there, the processes and identity are so important, but they get lost in modern football because there's so much pressure. And in terms of pressure, I want to speak about relegation, the whole phenomenon around it managing to avoid it and then suffering it what's the emotion like in terms of dealing with that element knowing you've just dropped out of a division is it the most strenuous part of the job and on the football spectrum as a whole it is i don't believe um football or sport can be lived in the same way if there is no relegation we know that there are other uh franchises and different ways of, 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 of leagues in the United States that, that are uh, just part of, of trying to win and there is no relegation. I don't understand that side. I think football uh, itself, when you play having something to lose and the fear the, of, of being involved in a relegation, that really blocks you as a, as a footballer and, and you can take that in any uh, other walk of life. Uh, as human beings, we can block ourselves just when you, we do things with fear. And it's, it's a lot of work and uh, as a manager in those situations when you're in a relegation battle is constantly to allow people to enjoy the process of fighting toward relegation and, and unblocking um, the human being that is almost fearful. You almost think about the consequences and you always think about what you can lose rather than what it should be, what everything you do and you prepare every day and your job and, and football is no different it's to try to win a football game. But I've seen it. Uh, it changes so much and you feel that you're unlucky and you feel that the momentum is not with you and all you're doing is you're bringing it uh, towards yourself. And it's not just the players. You lose a game and you're in those three positions uh, in the Premier League and everyone reminds you and you got the 24 hours of sports channels telling you that you're going down and you're going down. And I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's the mental side becomes the biggest part of the preparation of the team. And we enjoyed fantastic battles going into the sur survival Sunday and going to the last day of the, of the competition with an incredible belief that it, not, it, it wasn't just coming from the players and the staff, it comes from the, the, the fans. And when you achieve that, that the whole football club uh, almost uh, kicking every emotion together, it becomes a wonderful experience. And winning a relegation battle could feel even more satisfying than winning a title. 
obviously every objective in our team is is completely different at the beginning of the season. But being through the aspect of going to a game and and having the the, the fear of you could get relegated, uh, there are more implications than just losing a game when you're trying to win a title. Uh, there is uh, there is a lot more, uh, and I would go even further. Obviously. I uh, I've I, I had the experience of three consecutive seasons with Wigan Athletic that we reach our our aim of staying in the Premier League after uh, finishing really strong in the final third of the season and reaching our points tally. But I've been involved in relegation uh, of the the bottom uh, professional division, which is um, the worst relegation that you can fight for because it's not just getting relegated is just getting relegated and you come out of the professional game which means you go into the amateur and that means that in the club you're going to make at least 40, 50 positions redundant and that affects people's lives. So I think that experience in in those sort of environments uh, made me the coach that I am today and, and it's helped me immensely and I don't think you're a coach until you are at the back of a heavy defeat or you are at the back of three consecutive defeats, uh, managing the dressing rooms in those situations, uh, completely, completely different and more challenging than when you just lose a game and, and you keep winning uh, after that, trying to, to reach your, your, your objective of winning a title. There's a lot of fascinating elements to that, and I just want to work through them quickly. Do you feel that in, in the current world we live in, that what happened was the the drop got emphasized more than all the times you managed the survival because i think in in football culture and with the news cycle you reference sometimes that da- does happen people hold on to the worst element and forget all the other positive things that uh, that had happened before yes Yes, and I think everything uh, through this attack to humanity that we are all experiencing, you do get to uh, expect the, the worst case scenario and, and you are fearful and you live life uh, on the edge and with a lot of stress in that respect. And I'm not talking about sports uh, or business now. I'm just talking about our normal lives, um, the fear of, of getting one of the younger generation in your family infected and, 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 and been through a difficult period. And I think that's uh, it's changed me completely in, in the way to, uh, to, to live life, but to work as well. I think you need to start with uh, all the possible scenarios and then you're looking at the worst possible scenario and you need to have an answer already in place and try to kill fear and kill uncertainty in the people that they're working in your environment because otherwise it's impossible to reach your objective of, of, of performing as well as you can in any uh, in any group of people that you're working together in business or sport you are there to perform if you walk into the room with a fear of being infected by a virus for example of doing anything that it could be bring a bigger risk uh, you'll never uh, perform and I think that's that's been something that is very important for all of us. We are in the middle of a very different uh, situation. We should sit down and, and think of all the possible cases and what would it happen. And then once you've got that work it out in whatever level it is, uh, then you can just move on and try to enjoy every day. It's, 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 our life is worthless if we, can, if we cannot enjoy everything we do. Now it's very difficult to enjoy what you do when you've got this threat and that uncertainty. And I think where, however you can do it, you have to kill that uncertainty and kill that fear and put things in place where you are prepared. Whatever it is, that is. If, if that means making a phone call to someone, uh, getting things in terms of being able to travel, being able to reach people, whatever it is, you need to make sure that that's in place. Otherwise, you will leave the day with uncertainty and fear, and that's, uh, that's a disaster in, in order to be able to enjoy your life. The other thing, obviously, I'm part of the media, and I'm always conscious of the messaging we put out and how we handle things and that we are talking about human beings, you know, players and managers and, and everybody that we discuss aren't robots. Is ca- Can you tell me how it feels when you're a manager, results are not going according to plan and 
you know, you're switching on the TV or you're picking up the newspaper or you're looking at social media and there's just constant talk of who's replacing you or who's the favorite to take over your job. Is that uncomfortable or do you have to sort of learn how to deal with it, even though it's not nice to deal with? I think you go through periods. Uh, When you're a young coach, you almost feel that you want to answer every doubt or every question mark that there is surrounding your position and out there. And you feel that that's uh, that's important part of the job, that everyone uh, understands what you're trying to do and everyone can be part of the project and everyone can be especially the fans of your own uh, football club. And then the older that you get, you understand that you cannot stop that. It's impossible. First, that you haven't got enough time. And the time that you have is to prepare the things that they can affect the next result. We all know that in this business, we are a little bit extremist. Uh, when you win a game, you are the best. And when you lose a game, you're the worst thing that it could ever been attached to the football club. That's that's the the, the, the role of the manager and, and the coach. And I think you, you need to learn um, to know how you can affect that. And how how you can affect that is having a very clear vision of what you're trying to achieve, knowing exactly what is behind uh, a defeat and why in a challenging moment uh, the team is in that position. And you need to be very much aware of of how you can change that environment. The moment that you start looking around and, and, and what the the social media says and what the people say is too late. Um, you're, you're missing out. You need to affect the headlines of tomorrow. And that's the real power of of, of working in football and being the manager or being the player uh, is that you're going to affect the headlines of, of tomorrow. And if you're not prepared, if you're, the team is not prepared, you, well, you're going to affect them in a very negative manner. Uh, I, in the first season in the Premier League, I was 35 and I couldn't, I could not uh, understand why in a press conference people would be so personal and wanted to attack. And then my decision was to try to put myself in that positions. And I covered the World Cup 2010 with uh, an American channel because I felt that it was uh, the least uh, intrusive into, into the UK. And then I could learn of what are the pressures and the challenges when you are a journalist and when you're someone covering a game. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 
It was exactly four weeks ago today, minus 87 minutes, that David told me that he wanted to become the new manager of Manchester United. And from that time, uh, the football club has continued on a long and exhaustive journey to find the right man to take this club forward. During the four weeks, I have to say, I've met some of the finest individuals you could possibly meet in football. The finest of them is sitting next to me now, and it's a great relief, joy, and it is seriously exciting to me that Roberto Martinez has agreed to be the next manager of Everton Football Club. Roberta, we've touched on your playing days, your impact and influence at Swansea, the highs and lows at Wigan, and I want to go to your time at Everton. Was it the hardest job for you up until that point because of the expectations of the club due to its history, the determination to become a power in English football again? No, my time at Everton was wonderful. Um, I loved every second of it, even even in the last four months where it, it became a very difficult uh, job or a lonely job in that respect. But uh, Everton is a wonderful, wonderful football club that represents the substance and the character of the British game. And the history is something that I always wanted to, to get inspired by it. and looking back to the big players and, and the big moments uh, I met. Howard Kendall and that was one of the most uh, beautiful times that I had at the training ground of Finch Farm and to be able to to understand what it means to, to be an Evertonian and, 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 and I felt very quickly that um, it's, it's a big club and the expectations are a big club and even when Everton is not in the Champions League or is not challenging to the league uh, title the fans have in their DNAs that the club has got nine league titles and it's got that history and it's only uh, an expectation that you should be competing for those clubs. And I never tried to fight that. I embraced it and I loved every second. I think as a manager, I was ready to to be in that sort of expectations. The first year we reached the highest point tally in the history of the Premier League for Everton. Second year was a wonderful experience in, in European football. I felt that they, we were getting ready to, 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 to reach that silverware. And what we experienced in European football, we were the last British team to be knocked out in, in European competitions at that time. And I showed you how, how much everything has changed in, in the space of five, six years. And then in the third season, when I lost my job, uh, looking back, obviously, uh, at the beginning, we lost a lot of points um, at home. I think away, away from was fantastic, but it slowly the priority became very clear. I felt that the club needed silverware in order to make that step forward in terms of uh, being able to, uh, in terms of the recruitment, in terms of being able to almost have the belief that we could challenge to the top four positions and that silverware got us into into two semi-finals in the domestic competitions in the same season and that's not easy uh, it's a shame that we were very very close but uh, that's I understand uh, maybe the team became very successful and that increased the expectations and at the end it became quite difficult to get people to see the the, 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 the good work behind uh, some too many defeats, I would say, in in the league because that's top and bottom is 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 the truth. We had too many defeats, even though the younger players were getting stronger, we we're getting developing and reaching huge value in the market. And my time at Everton, uh, I'm extremely extremely proud, and and I always look back with a lot of a lot of joy, even through the period of the last four months. Um, they became very, very difficult, as as you can expect when a big club, in terms of expectations, doesn't get the the results on 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 the pitch. You you use the word lonely, and I think that's so accurate because it does become such a a difficult thing to try and wade through when you know the end is nearing and you can feel. The, that everything is is not going the way it should. But when the news eventually reaches you, how do you process uh, 
not just the decision to part ways with you, but obviously there's so much that happens. You, you're you used to going to a training ground every day and seeing the same faces over a period of time. It's it's not just a job you're losing. It's sort of a, a connection and a routine. So how do you deal with all of that? I think it's part of the job. When you become a manager in football, you you know that that comes with a with a job. You need to be able to to finish the 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 day and you finish the job with that, and then you look forward to the next step. I think at that point, you can never look back and and and, and stay with regrets. I think that could be the impossible moment is when you you finish a job and then you take regrets with you i think that becomes very very difficult to be able to 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 move on from uh, at that point I, I can honestly say that it was a sad moment because i felt that we were getting very very close and i felt that we made huge progress and we were getting very clear on the next steps that they were needed in that uh, summer but the reality is that i look back and it was intense uh, i gave everything i had and Everyone around the team gave everything they had, and and you just live with with the treasuring the memories that you accumulated from beating Manchester United home and away, from being able to to beat Wolfsburg home and away, away in in, in to be able to see young players making debuts like John Stones and big roles for uh, Romelu Lukaku, for Gerard De Lofeo, for Ross Barkley. Uh, seeing all those aspects. Um, you see the, even the younger players that we work behind the scenes with Mason Colgate, Tom Davies, uh, the work in the training ground. Those are the memories that you take with you and you understand that you gave everything you had and, and then it's not in your hands when you when you stop that, that role. Uh, after the first season, I had opportunities to leave the club and the decision was to stay and believe in the project, uh, assign a new deal. And then when that... Uh, those are the moments that you can make the decision. When there's the club that makes the decision, like it happens, a new owner comes in and is entitled to to take uh, uh, make those sort of decisions. You you move on very quickly because you don't carry any any regrets. That's the way I I see it. It's the opposite. You look forward to see how the the things that they've been left at the club how they're gonna be uh, ending up in the next few years. Yeah, and then it felt like before we could blink, suddenly you're no longer a club manager. You're now a manager of a country. <laughs> yes. And not just any country, one of the most exciting in world football to be in charge of. But I want to ask you before we, we get into Belgium, as a club manager, did you dislike international breaks? When it came around, did you think, oh, goodness, why do we have to send our players off? Of course. Of course, and, and that's a, the big advantage is that I knew exactly how I felt as a club manager to become a, an international manager. Um, unfortunately, international football and club-level football don't go hand-by-hand hand, uh, in, in terms of the objectives of the season. But what you, uh, what you understand is that uh, club-level football for a player is your, your, your daily challenges, is, is the... The work is, is where you want to grow. But then playing for your country and playing for your nation is, is a very proud moment. And it's creating memories that you cannot create at club-level football. And that's a, the reality of it. And we need to understand that it's bigger, bigger demands for the players. But we need to work together with the national teams. And I think that, that really helped me, that I was in that chair that you feel that international football is a waste of time that it gets in the way of the players and it gets on the way of what you're trying to do and you had such a busy fixture list and then you got players that are going and traveling all over the world and you cannot control them and taking those those uh, that knowledge and, and those experiences really helped me because I see players that they always in the middle they are committed to the clubs but their passion is to play for their for their national teams. Um, it's our responsibility as coaches in both at the club at the international level to help the players to be able to fulfill that. It's wrong when we put pressure onto the players that they shouldn't be committed to to both aspects. And I think that's been has been uh, very important in the job uh, to try to have as good as relationships as we can with the clubs and be as open, uh, honest and transparent. Even now that we had the camps in three games in a very short period of time, 
we've never played players in three games um, because you need to carry that responsibility of what the players need. But it is, it is, um, it's been a, a very good. Uh, lesson and when I speak with coaches and young coaches that they ask me uh, how I feel that they can uh, they can enjoy international football I always say that if you can work at club level uh, with huge intensity and then go into international football that's uh, an incredible way to improve as a as a manager and as a coach because the demands are completely different it's a different way of of playing uh, the the job and is it becomes very beneficial you mentioned there the player welfare about managing game time over the, the international period, especially with coronavirus, because so much uh, fixtures have been crammed into a short space of time. And just on that, I wanted to have your take on the Premier League not increasing to five substitutions while elsewhere in Europe has. We've seen an uptick in serious injuries and in muscle injuries and in time lost to injuries in the division. Do you think it's unwise not to give players as much a chance of recovery as possible? Well, of course, uh, I think we are in a, in a very unique season. The unique season means that um, the teams that they were involved in the last state of the European competitions, Europa League and the Champions League, they had very little time of, of pre-season. Uh, some cases maybe not in the Premier League, but there is one case in one French club that they have three days from changing one season to another. And that is uh, a very difficult uh, turnaround. Obviously, it's a situation that is nobody's fault. Uh, we've been attacked by this pandemic uh, situation where football, I think, is essential for people's uh, lives and to have a, a real... Um, feeling that we can move on and we can share our emotions and we can win and we can lose with our clubs and, and follow football is important. So I think it's almost a responsibility as everyone that is involved in football that we make the, the effort to, to, to let the game to carry on. But obviously, this, uh, uh, this puts a lot of pressure on the players. They have to play a lot of games. There's very little recovery. And it's everyone's responsibility. So in terms of coaches, we need to try to use the information that we have and protect our players, but the institutions should give the tools and the laws that would allow us to to have uh, as much rotation and, and share the efforts as much as we can between our players. And I think the five-sub rule uh, helps you. That doesn't mean you have to use it, but to have it there, it represents the, the times that we live in. And it's not about looking at uh, if that gives an advantage to better squads or lesser squads, it's not. This is a, a situation that it should be to try to get through this period because it's been a very unusual period. It's exactly the same than having fans in, in, in the stadiums. Of course, football with no fans is pointless. But the answer here, or the decision here was having football with no fans or having no football at all. And now you get the ideas that they got some uh, following the, the, the government uh, restrictions and the rules. You got some grounds that they got fans and all this they haven't. Uh, would that be unfair? Of course it's unfair, but that's not what it matters. Now it's important that if you got an area that you can get fans in the, in the stadium, that's a celebration about football and about humanity making steps forward. And we should uh, encourage that. And if you are unfortunate because of the team, you cannot play in front of your fans but you can do it as an away team, so be it. And I think we all need to be uh, a bit more uh, just respectful of the situation. So any law, any rule that it can help uh, the decision makers to help our players, it needs to be welcome and, and we should be a bit more open-minded in that respect. Now, speaking of players, what is it like being responsible for a golden generation of them? <laughs> Speak to me about being manager of the Belgian national team, which I can imagine must be quite the honor. Well, of course, yeah. I never, I never expected four years ago. Uh, if you ask me what what I was getting ready for, I would have never said international football, and then all of a sudden, this opportunity of 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 being part of 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 uh, the the most uh, most gifted generation in in Belgian football ever. It, it makes you almost look at your career in a different way and, and you get excited about that. But I don't see it as a responsibility at all. I think the biggest sign that I got is when I arrived to the to the team and you carry your own 
you're you're a little bit curious about how the players see international football at that point, and you realize that for a European nation uh, to have the commitment and the passion of our players to represent the national team is is incredible. It doesn't matter what what club they play, in what moment of their career, playing for the national team is very special. And majority of our players play abroad, which means that playing for the national team means coming home, means that the families are very proud and looking forward to see them. The neighbours of the families are very proud and it creates a, a special feeling. Uh, it's young players, young potential footballers that they leave Belgium and they come back like world-class uh, stars. And, and that's a wonderful um, lesson for the younger generation in, in Belgium. So in, in my position, it was quite difficult in the first uh, season because it was so much talk about the golden generation. And I felt that that was very unfair. You cannot call the golden generation when, when, when the generation hasn't done anything. Uh, that was the, the reality. That's a lot of pressure when it was very unfair. Um, you got, of course, very talented players, but more importantly, very committed players. And then it became uh, a wonderful experience to see in, in the World Cup uh, how we face adversity, to be able to to come back from a 2-0 down against Japan and be the first uh, since 1966, uh, a team that it could overcome a 2-0 defeat in the World Cup in 90 minutes, uh, to see the first time in the World Cup history that two substitutes would come on and, and score, uh, being able to beat Brazil in a knockout phase in a World Cup, which makes uh, a different way of enjoying the World Cup experience. At that point, that generation became the golden generation of, of Belgian football. Only in 86, it was a fourth position. So, And I think now it's, it's a completely enjoyable role to, to be part of the golden generation for all the players and, and all the staff because we feel that the fans are very proud of this group of players but they, they, they're ready to come all the way with with the journey that that entitles. So that could be winning games, it could be losing games because the players... Uh, they show this ambassadorial role that they have in, in Belgium and they become huge leaders in, in every aspect that they do. And now they've been number one in the world for three years, three consecutive years, which shows you the consistent work, something that for a nation of 11 million people, it represents a lot of good things that they've been done in the past. So it's, it's a real uh, enjoyment. You welcome the expectations, you welcome the pressure that this team could have in, in, in the nation of Belgium. Lovely ball, Hazard can settle it all here, and does! Eden Hazard for Belgium, 2-0, and it looks like they are set now. De Bruyne and Hazard involved again. That is it, though. Belgium are third in the World Cup. It's their best ever performance at the tournament. Now, I was supposed to cover the Euros, and obviously... Uh, COVID meant that it got pushed back and it got delayed. Do you think actually, given the state of everything people have been through, that the competition almost takes on extra significance next year? It It's more about hope and celebration and, you know, all the, the human elements of, of the competition rather than the football itself. Yes, yes. I think... When when the Euro 2020 is going to be played is 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 a victory. It's a victory for everyone that in their own life and their own house they had to uh, suffer through restrictions, through family members getting uh, infected by the virus, and I think it's a way for everyone to come out and and be very very proud and and, and try to to celebrate, uh, that's the aspect. And, and do it through football has always been a great opportunity in life to, 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 to use that tool in a very powerful way. That's the initial part. Then you've got many aspects that this is uh, the, the, the most complicated format of, of, of the Euros that we'll ever have. And I don't think we'll, we'll ever repeat it. This is the celebration of the 60th anniversary. So then to have 12 host countries makes it uh, very difficult. Now it would be a big shame if that cannot be celebrated with public in the stadiums. Um, I'm sure that that's going to be a decision made closer to the, to, to the date. But um, we all hope that we're looking forward that these European Championships can be celebrated, they can be um, performed in a high, high level 
of standards surrounding whatever happens on the pitch, because that would be a, a big uh, moment to look back into what happened in the previous 12 months. And then we hope that uh, as a competition in the World Cup in 2018, the, the, the top four nations, the, the, the the front four were European. So you can imagine that the levels in the European Championships nowadays are, are really high. So then you've got a, a double reason to, to enjoy a tournament that is going to be very special. And then I know one of the things you're quite passionate about is protecting the English pyramid, given that you were involved in the lower leagues. We've seen coronavirus has done a lot of damage, but also a lot of clubs were just poorly managed and so keeping that in mind i just want to know what's your wishes for football next year and beyond well i think obviously uh, as you mentioned uh, it seems that uh, every football club has suffered out of this uh, this current situation like every business uh, that's 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 clear um, some football clubs unfortunately they use this as an excuse and this period has been a good time uh, catastrophe just to maybe hide the bad management of the last five, six, seven years and it's been uh, terrible consequences. Um, I think there are many lessons out of it. One, that we need to bring a, a, a reality check into the way you manage your football club and you need to have a very clear structure. And then in terms of the leagues, there are many, uh, many areas that you have to always work within your means and we have to make sure that we put at the forefront uh, the protection of the of the history of, of 100 years institutions of our football clubs that they happen from a lot of clubs uh, of the 72 clubs outside the Premier League that they are professional they've got incredible history they've got a lot of uh, thousands of, of, of families in each um, uh, institution that has been its future has been seriously in doubt and I think that needs a, a real considering and a restructure and taking that the owners of these football clubs should be um, very carefully uh, picked and people that they are responsible because uh, they need to be custodians of, of a football institution or uh, people that they come in to try to, to make business out of, of, of football and and uh, the feelings of a lot of people that they support these football clubs. And then in, in, in this way, as, as, as you know, it's going to get uh, challenging and it's been difficult at every level, but I'm sure that we'll, we'll get out uh, stronger and probably with uh, being in a, in a more solid position for every football club to go ahead in the next, in the next few years. Thanks for sharing your experiences in and your enthusiasm for football with us, Roberto. I'm sure the listeners will agree that it was an engaging, enlightening conversation. <laughs> You're very kind, Melissa, and have a fantastic uh, Christmas and uh, all the festivity that is going to be around this year. To you that has tuned in, subscribed and reviewed Between the Lines, I am incredibly grateful. I know this has been a tough year on so many levels, but I hope the episodes have provided a slight escape. We've spoken to Maurizio Pochettino, Daniel Sturridge, Gary Lineker, Adam Lalana, and tackled meaty topics like social media abuse in football, the policing of the game in the UK, and the dangerously lax approach to head trauma. If you've missed out on any of those, give them a go. Here's to 2021 being a whole lot better. Take care and Happy New Year. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production. Written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hold up. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.